This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. AOPA presents Never Again, True pilot stories from the world of general aviation. In this episode, in the chaos of forest fire, a reconnaissance pilot forgets rule one, fly the airplane. Prepare for heat in Up in Smoke by Tom Ron. July and August 1999 were typically hot, dry, and windy in the Sierra Nevada mountains especially so in the Plumas National Forest. As humidity readings steadily dropped, Forest Service personnel geared up for what was surely going to be a long and busy fire season. All that was needed was a source of ignition, and Mother Nature was about to oblige. In the third week of August, a series of dry lightning storms struck the Plumas, sparking dozens of wildland fires in the tinder-dry vegetation. Almost immediately, the phone rang at our FBO, Sugar Pine Aviators. It was Plumas Dispatch, with an order to launch Recon 40 to locate and report smokes on the forest. For the past 18 years, I have been carted by the U.S. Forest Service to fly reconnaissance and supplemental air attack in our 1965 Cessna 206. The familiar drill was to top off the aircraft, fill out the paperwork, install the Forest Service radio pack, and launch with a Forest Service aerial observer on board. By the end of August, two large fires in the North Fork of the Feather River drainage had gotten out of control as fire crews were overwhelmed with the number of starts and limited resources. This is rugged, heavily timbered, unforgiving country. The fires would eventually grow to more than 34,000 acres and become known as the Big and Bucks Fires. And yes, they ended up costing big bucks to put out. When a fire exceeds the size and ability of local forest service resources to contain, a special unit called a Type 1 team is called in. The highly experienced team, led by an incident commander, coordinates all aspects of fire suppression, including aerial resources. My job now switched from Recon 40 to Air Attack 11, flying with the Type 1 team Air Attack Supervisor. Only a handful of personnel in each Forest Service region are qualified as air attack supervisors. 
Years of fire behavior experience on the ground are required, as well as intimate knowledge of the speed and load-carrying capacity of each lead plane, air tanker, and helicopter assigned to the incident. Their responsibility is to direct fixed-wing retardant drops, rotor-wing water drops, and supply missions, and to look out for the welfare of firefighters on the ground. To accomplish this, four or more frequencies must be monitored at once, including forest net for flight following, fire net for ground communication, two tactical frequencies for air tanker and helicopter operations, and local unicom, if near an airport. In the chaos of initial attack, this can be overwhelming for the air attack supervisor, so the pilot handles two frequencies for him. Air attack supervisor Winnegar and I had circled these fires dozens of times and watched as the two fires slowly started to merge into one large conflagration. Other than coordinating the occasional retardant drop and scanning the surrounding airspace for illegal incursions into the temporary flight restriction, the routine changed little. Occasionally, my mind wandered in the afternoon heat. To pass the time, I focused more on locating a likely-looking fishing lake or deer-hunting area instead of noticing the changing conditions of the smoke column. Suddenly, I heard a request from a hotshot crew member on the Bucks fire. Hotshot crews are elite wildland firefighters sent into the most dangerous terrain to construct control lines in advance of the flames. This was no exception, as the person requesting assistance was on a steep, brushy, rattlesnake-infested slope at the head of the fire. The crew member said, Sling me in another chainsaw. This one just burnt up. Wanting to get a better fix on her location, I increased the bank angle and looked down through the haze longer than I should have. As I looked up, with no time to react, we flew directly into the smoke column of these two huge fires that had suddenly merged. The column of an out-of-control large forest fire looks like an atom bomb went off. These monsters form what is called a plume-dominated fire, creating its own weather, including lightning and tornado-like wind vortices. The initial jolt of turbulence was significant, but what worried me most was knowing that severe updrafts were rapidly hurling chunks of burning limbs and debris skyward. In this situation, had we struck an object, our chances of a safe outcome were severely limited. A forced landing in the dense smoke was at best problematic. I immediately went on the gauges and tried not to think about what was sailing past us in the zero visibility. Seatbelts strained as we transitioned from eerily calm air to severe turbulence in a matter of seconds. My eyes were glued mainly to the directional gyro and the attitude indicator as I fought to maintain heading and control of the aircraft. I could only imagine what the air attack supervisor was thinking. After what seemed like forever, we suddenly emerged into clear blue sky on the opposite side of the column. Luckily, we never hit anything while gaining 2,000 feet of altitude in the updrafts. I apologized to my passenger and suggested we return to base for fuel. He never said a word about the incident to me, but I overheard him remark to a colleague that he should put in for hazard pay. The lesson I learned that day was no matter how much experience you have, lack of situational awareness coupled with complacency is a dangerous combination.
The Never Again Podcast is brought to you monthly by AOPA, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. You can find more Never Again stories online at aopa.org by typing Never Again into the search box. While you're there, check out AOPA's mobile flight planning app, AOPA Go, as well as the many free training and safety courses from the Air Safety Institute. Find all of this and more at aopa.org. The Never Again podcast is produced by Royce Earl. Thanks for listening. Fly safely.